The Atlanta Braves were quiet at the trade deadline, but Spencer Strider was loud on Tuesday night against the Los Angeles Angels. We'll discuss all that on today's episode of Locked On Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I am your host, Jacob Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Also, make sure you check out my written work over at bravestoday.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have for the podcast. Make sure if you're new, you subscribe on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up button if you're watching this video there, as it does help support the show a ton when you do that. Thank you so much for all your comments in the comment section there. We have some great discussions. I try to get to all of those, but you have been so generous with the comments. And again, really appreciate you continuing the conversation in the comment section on YouTube. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of each and every day. Uh, thanks so much to all my everydayers. I know I owe a lot of you a shout out, and I promise I will get to those, but didn't have time to include it in today's episode, but I will on tomorrow's episode. We got a lot to get to in this one. I want to quickly recap Tuesday's game. A lot to get into there with Spencer Strider, but I mainly want to focus on the trade deadline, what the Braves did do, what they didn't do, who improved the most, what is what is the outlook for the National League and who all got better at the trade deadline? I want to discuss all that on today's episode. Before we do, though, let me tell you about Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks, and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Let's go ahead and get into Tuesday's game because I want to kind of go this a little bit quickly because I want to get into the trade deadline discussion, which I'm sure a lot of you are wanting to hear. But was a good game on Tuesday, a 5-1 to one win over the Angels to even up that series. Spencer Strider, dominant again. You look at his eight la last eight starts now, 51 innings pitched, 18 earned runs. That's a 3.18 ERA. Just 44 hits allowed, only eight walks. That's a 1.02 whip. So a 318 ERA, a 1.02 whip over his last eight starts. And that's including, you know, those starts here recently where he gave up five, he gave up four. But really, you know, since those back-to-back -back really bad starts he had earlier in the year where he gave up eight and five in consecutive outings, since then he's looked a lot more like Spencer Strider. Still having issues with the home run balls. And given that crooked inning and not being able to get through the seventh, which we'll talk about, but still, he has been more like that dominant Spencer Strider. And you look at those 51 innings in his last eight starts, 81 strikeouts. And that's always been there for Spencer Strider. But again, especially over this eight-start stretch that he's had, he has been the dominant Spencer Strider we're accustomed to seeing. He's gone at least six innings in each of those eight starts. He's worked into the seventh five times. He's only completed the seventh one time, which, again, we'll talk about here more in a second. But he has been that ace. He has been that top-of-the-rotation pitcher that the Braves need him to be. Yeah, there's still some things I'd like to see him improve on to become even more dominant, and I think there's more in the tank, and that just speaks to how, how great I think he can be and how great I think Spencer Strider can be. You can see the last time he's, le he's left these last two games – 
he's been frustrated with himself. He knows there's more in the tank. There's He knows he can be even better, which is just scary to think about and has to be scary for opposing teams. Going back to the seventh inning situation, talked about it previous two starts before this one against the Diamondbacks against Boston, really struggled to get through that seventh inning. Things kind of unraveled on him in that seventh inning. Snick gave him a chance, even though he was approaching 100 pitches, to go back out in the seventh inning again on Tuesday, which I, I like and I agree with. You got to give Spencer Strider, I just said, he's your ace. He's your most dominant pitcher. You got to keep giving him opportunities to work through that, and he can do it. We know he can do it. He did it last year, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's become a mental hurdle. I, I don't know what the, the cause is, but it's now three straight starts where things have started to unravel for him a little bit in that seventh inning. You go to the seventh inning on Tuesday night. He's up 0-2 on Mickey Moniak. He's blown away with two fastballs up in the zone. He goes back to it a third time, which I get, and I think it's the right pitch selection, and it was a good pitch, but Moniak makes the adjustment. He's able to get up to that ball and has one of the hardest hit balls of the night off of him for a single, a leadoff single in the seventh. He gets the next two guys out, and you got the number nine hitter out, and you're thinking, okay, here's a chance for him to get out of that seventh inning, and he hits Neto, who – Clearly took exception to it. I can promise you it wasn't intentional, but I'm sure getting hit up around the neck area is pretty frustrating for any hitter. But again, just couldn't get out of it. And you got to go to Joe Jimenez there to get out of that jam. And again, you saw Strider coming off the mound frustrated because, again, I got to think it's somewhat of a mental thing at this point now. Three games in a row where he's gone into the seventh inning but couldn't complete it. So, Hopefully he continues to get those opportunities because that means he's really been good for six innings. If he's having an opportunity to go through the seventh, you want to see your ace be able to get you through seven innings pretty frequently. And I think he has the ability to do, I know he has the ability to do that, but again, got to work through that, figure it out. 31 whiffs on the night. I, I can't tell you how incredible it is to have a game and he's done it multiple times where you have, over 30 swings and misses and 100, 110 pitches that he threw, a 48% whiff rate on the night. Again, it's dominant type stuff. 81.1 mile per hour average exit velocity against on the balls that were put into play. Just four hard hit balls allowed on the night. And only one of those hard hit balls went for a hit. The run that scored was on a 67.5 mile per hour bloop single. He gave up a couple of those just really Weak hits that are frustrating, and that was the run that came around to score. Big thing for Strider here, didn't give up a home run. First time he's done that in his last four starts. We know that's something that's really plagued him this year. His home run rate has doubled since last year. Again, not really sure what's going on with that other than just fastball location, and batters are trying to cheat to get to that fastball a lot more. Almost gave up one in this one. C.J. Crone hit a ball 400 feet to dead center field, and fortunately, he hit it in that exact location. Michael Harris was able to glide back and get that for an easy out, but no home runs on the night. Anytime Spencer Strider does that, he's going to have a really good outing because it's hard to string a bunch of hits against him. You got to hope the defense helps you out like it did against the White Sox where Rosario, his defensive lapses in left field really hurt him in that one, or you're going to have to hope that he walks a couple batters before you get a home run like that game in Arizona or he hits a batter. So, Again, avoiding the home run, avoiding that big inning. Spencer Strider able to do that. Another dominant performance. Broke his own record as the fastest pitcher to get to 200 strikeouts in a season. He's going to break a lot of records in his Braves career. I certainly think so. I mentioned if he gets the starts 
I think he's going to get to 300 strikeouts this year. I don't know that he's going to get the opportunity to do that, but he's certainly on pace to do so. As for the offense, came on late, you know, a quiet first game, and they were quiet for most of the second game as well. Just one run in the first inning. Ronnie got picked off, perhaps constant from scoring a little bit more in that first inning. And then it was pretty much crickets from the offense until Michael Harris hit his first of two home runs. That answered the Angels tying the game at one, and then Michael Harris came right back and gave the Braves a lead with that home run. I mentioned this on the postcast, which you can check out over on Locked On Sports Atlanta on YouTube or in the Locked On Braves podcast feed. I mentioned on there, before that at bat, I was looking at Michael Harris' stats coming out the plate, and he only had nine home runs on the season. I know he was dreadful for pretty much the first two months of the year and had some injuries as well and there that really prevented him from getting going that back. I'm sure it was zapping some of his power, but I, I thought to myself, this is a guy who should be easily a 2020 player annually. And he goes out, hits his 10th home run. That's the ninth player the Braves have had reach double-digit home runs this year. When Travis Darno hits his next one, the Braves will have, for the first time ever, have 10 players with double-digit home runs, which is just insane to think about. But Michael Harris, he, he should be a 2020 machine each and every year. After this game, he's now up to 11 home runs and 13 stolen bases, so we'll see if he gets there. But glad to see him get that home run stroke going. Again, there's just too much speed, too much power, too much athleticism, too much talent for him not to be a perennial 2020-type player. So good to see him get those two home runs. Eddie had a pinch hit single and then an RC a home run later in the game that kind of broke things up, broke things up a little bit. And Michael Harris hit his second home run of the game. After that point, great job, Eddie, coming out the bit. And it's exactly what I talked about. I'm fine with Kevin Pillar starting and putting him seventh, eighth in the lineup, wherever you want to put him. He wants to bat 240, whatever. Righties, lefties. I know we should probably mainly just start against lefties, but I'm fine with that for the defensive aspect of it. And then you save Eddie Rosario for an at-bat later in the game where you need him, just like this. And he comes off the bench, he gets a pinch hit single, he scores on a home run, and then get him out of the game because there was a ball in the next inning that drops in that had no business dropping in. Uh, he just can't play in the field right now. He is just so bad at getting jumps on balls. His closing speed is not good at all. So I'm fine using Eddie Rosario off the bench. Look, that bat's valuable, especially in big spots. But you got to get him out of there defensively because it is just, it's hard to watch him out there. You got Forrest Wall on the bench, Sam Hilliard you know, making a rehab assignment right now. Hopefully, when he comes back, you'll have him that you can put back out there. But he just can't play defensively at the moment. It is just too much of a liability out there. Olsen just missed a two run homer in this one. He really felt like it was fair. And I know he's biased, but that really, you know, cost him there. He's crushing the baseball. Ended up striking out in that at bat. You know he had to feel like he he missed out on one. He certainly felt like it was fair, but he hit it so high that you just couldn't tell. And I know a lot of you have mentioned this. How is it 2023 and we don't have some sort of laser technology running up the foul pole to tell if these balls are fair or foul? I don't know. That's a great question. MLB is really slow on making some of these technological adjustments, but he certainly crushed that ball. Wish you would have got it to be fair. Every spot in the lineup had either a hit or a walk again. Talking about just the depth of this lineup, everybody contributing, getting on base. A-squad bullpen shuts it down. I mentioned Jimenez coming in in the seventh to get out of trouble. Minter gets the top of the order, starting with Otani. Pitch for the second day in a row coming off the IL. I thought that was a bit of a questionable move, but he's able to get through that inning, and you got, I'm sure he's going to be off on Wednesday. Then you got the off day on Thursday to get him some rest. And then Iglesias with a six-pitch ninth inning. Wasn't a safe situation, but Snicker deciding – 
you know, to go with the A squad bullpen right right then. And I feel like that's what it's going to be. Jimenez, Mentor, Iglesias, that is your seventh, eighth, ninth inning right now. And it looked pretty good on Tuesday night. All right. Well, even a little bit longer than I planned to in that first segment. But next, I want to get into all the trade deadline discussion, what the Braves did do, what they didn't do, who did the most, who improved the most. We'll talk about all of that here next. Are you using a Sleeper app for daily fantasy baseball? If you're not, you certainly should be. Sleeper is a fantasy sports plus real money gaming app focused on bringing people together through sports and gaming. Sleeper has become the fastest organically growing fantasy platform in the world with over 5 million active users in 2022, while also earning some of the highest levels of engagement per user in the industry. And if you want 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball, Sleeper is now offering up to a 100 times payout for up to an eight-pick contest. Choose as many as eight players that you like and pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Braves will try to win the series against the Angels on Wednesday afternoon starting at 12.20 p.m. Eastern. So you got to listen to this podcast soon before that game starts. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. All right, trade deadline came and went on Tuesday. Not a lot of action from the Braves' standpoint. They made one small move in the morning trading for left-handed reliever Brad Hand. It is our stat of the day Wednesday, so our stat of the day today is three because that's the number of additions the Braves made at the trade deadline. I know technically they made four trades if you include the Taylor Hearn one and then flipping Hearn for Nicky Lopez, but really three trade deadline additions for the Braves. Pierce Johnson, he has elite stuff. That curveball is nasty. We've seen that. He has a chance to be a sixth, seventh inning guy in mix and close games, whether the Braves are you know up a run, down a run and that sixth, seventh inning, I think he's somebody that can come in there, and especially if you know Jimenez or Mentor needs a day off. I think he can pitch that sixth, seventh, eighth inning role. So I think he, you know, could be in that you know back uh, setup guy type of mix. I think he has that type of stuff. Nicky Lopez, elite defense at several different positions. He's played left field, shortstop, third base, second base, and first base. I think when we originally got him, I said first base was the only place that he doesn't play. He does actually play first base, not a ton, but he does have some experience there. So he can play all over, and he's a really good defender pretty much wherever you put him. He had a good offensive season in 2021. I had somebody point that out to me, but that is a huge outlier when you look at the other seasons that he's played at the big league level. A good walk rate this year generally puts the ball in play. Again, I don't think the Braves will be relying on him too much defensively. He was basically just a bench replacement over Culberson, somebody you could bring in for defense if you need to. You know, If somebody were to get hurt, you at least have somebody to come in and play good defense at that spot on the infield. And then the move that they made on Tuesday, getting reliever Brad Hand from the Rockies. Veteran, he's pitched in big games, really tough on lefties. Lefties are hitting just 143 against him this year and just 190 for his career, which is a long career. You got to be sure, though, when he comes in that he's going to face a lefty. You got to make sure it's not a situation where – Team's going to pinch hit. They got a righty waiting on the bench for him. When he comes in, you got to make sure he's facing a lefty and you got to make sure that he gets him out because 
numbers are not nearly as good against right-handed hitters. So, again, he still has something that he's really good at, getting out lefties. He's a veteran with a lot of experience, possibly gives you a third lefty in the bullpen when Dylan leaves back and now with A.J. Minter. So, could be a very good pickup. Again, you got a spot in the the sixth, seventh, you know, maybe even the fifth, as early as the fifth inning. You got a big lefty coming up in a big situation. You can go to Brad Hand, see if you can get out of that, or you got an inning where there's two lefties coming up. Then maybe you go to Brad Hand there to try to get you through that inning. So another lefty specialist, nothing major. You know, I asked the question: Were the needs addressed? And no, not really. They needed a dominant setup reliever. Maybe Pierce Johnson fits that role. I don't think he takes over Joe Jimenez right now or A.J. Minter. Like I said, I think he could maybe substitute for one of them if they need a day off. But if you're in the postseason, you know, maybe he gets the sixth inning. Maybe he's that that fourth guy behind Jimenez, Minter, and Iglesias. I think he certainly has a case for that spot. So, it, to me, it wasn't exactly the dominant reliever that I was looking for. And I think you needed a starter of some sort. Uh, you know, you didn't have to get a Verlander or a Scherzer, even an Eduardo Rodriguez who ended up not getting moved. But I felt like they needed a Jordan Montgomery. I felt like they needed a Michael Lorenzen. I felt like they needed somebody for the middle to back of that rotation just to improve the depth, at least for the regular season. Even if it wasn't a guy you were going to use in the postseason, even just to get somebody to give you some innings to get through the regular season. I felt like they needed one of those guys. Getting somebody to in left field, I thought was always, you know, kind of a pipe dream and something that I don't think there was really anybody out there that made sense that was available. But they didn't really get the dominant set at reliever that I was looking for. And they didn't get any starting pitching depth, unless you want to include Torinos in that, which I don't because they just picked him up off the scrap heap. So wasn't necessarily a trade deadline move in my estimation. So I would say word needs addressed. I would say no. I would say Alex Anthopoulos didn't address the needs at the trade deadline. Reason for the lack of moves and not seeing Alex do a lot here, my market price was really high. And Alex Anthopoulos, and he talked about this a little bit on the broadcast Tuesday, he wasn't going to give up one of their limited assets unless it was going to be for someone who can make a significant impact. And that's what I was saying throughout a lot of this trade deadline. I'm sure everybody that Alex talked to, they wanted either A.J. Smith-Shawver or Vaughn Grissom, or they wanted, you know, an Owen Murphy, a J.R. Ritchie. I'm not going to give up one of those guys unless I'm getting an everyday player, unless I'm getting a middle of the rotation starter with years of control. And I just think the asking prices were way too high, and Alex wasn't willing to give up the limited assets the Braves do have unless it was going to be for a solid everyday player, somebody you could plug up, plug in that was going to be better than what the Braves have. And that's something to consider as well. What the Braves have is already really good. Who are you bringing in that's better than Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, Orlando Arcia, Austin Riley, Michael Harris, Ron Acuna Jr. And, you know, as much grief as we give Eddie Rosario, I don't really think there was too many players out there that were much better than him. Bellinger was the one we talked about that I think made the most sense. But other than that, again, Randall Gritchick, uh, who the Angels ended up getting, I just don't think there were a lot of outfielders moved that made a lot of sense they were a lot better than what the Braves already had certainly you could say so on the pitching side of things and that's what everybody was going for and that's you know there also weren't a lot of sellers at this deadline which drove up the price for a lot of these players as as well and we know Alex Anthopoulos is not somebody 
that is going to overreact to the market and overpay. We've seen it in a free agency. We've seen it in trades as well. And I said coming in, Alex is still yet to make a big prospect move at a trade deadline. He usually works on the margins. He brings in depth. And that's what he usually does at the trade deadline. We've seen him in the offseason now make a couple of big moves for Sean Murphy and Matt Olson. But other than that, he really doesn't trade a lot of his big prospects, especially not at the trade deadline. Again, I, I just don't think there was an outfielder out there or an outfielder traded that I thought would have been a significant upgrade over what Eddie Rosario already gives you, which is, I mean, a 750 OPS guy. I know he's terrible defensively. The Braves have to work on how they address that and how they use him. D-backs gave up a pretty good package for Paul Seawall. That's somebody, you know, I would have liked to get, but I don't think the Braves really could have matched that package. Blue Jays gave up their seventh-ranked prospect and a pitcher with 105 strikeouts and 89 innings at AA this year for Jordan Hicks for a rental in Jordan Hicks. That's what they gave up. That was the price for a rental in Jordan Hicks. I don't think they were ever really going to get Scherzer or Verlander, not just through the complications of working with somebody in the division, but you look at the money taken on and the prospects that the Mets got back in that deal, which I'll talk about here more in a second because I think the Mets got bailed out at this trade deadline. Lorenzen was one I thought made a lot of sense, but the Phillies gave up their fifth-ranked prospect for him. I think who they gave up there, I think he's probably similar to Von Grissom and you know, is that going to be the price for Michael Lorenzen? Was that what the Braves were willing to do, give up Vaughn Grissom for Lorenzen? I think that price may have been a little too high. I don't think the money is the issue, but Fangraphs currently has the Braves' luxury tax payroll at $245 million. The threshold for this year is $233 million, so the Braves are already in the luxury tax. That second tier is $253 million, so were they wanting to stay you know, below that second tier? I don't know. Again, I don't know that money played too much into this. I just think the pros the prospect packages were too high, too expensive for what was out there. And I just think Alex wasn't willing to pay those prices when it wasn't for somebody that was going to significantly upgrade this team. And so that's why I feel like the Braves and Alex didn't really make a lot of moves. It also wasn't necessary. I talked about this on yesterday's podcast. If there's one team who's already built and deep and ready to go for the postseason, it is the Braves. Especially, again, you consider what's coming back in Max Free. They just got A.J. Minter back, Dylan Lee coming back, possibly Kyle Wright, Jesse Chavez, Nick Anderson. I mean, there's nobody in baseball that I can think of that has those six guys, pitchers, that are coming back off injury that can make that much of an impact. And, yes, you're counting on all those guys coming back, coming back healthy and playing a big part, and that's a big if, but still – you got to trust your doctors. You got to trust what you're seeing in their rehab to, to feel like they can come back. And that's what Alex basically said. You know, he talked to his guys and they feel like there's a good chance that those guys come back and they are who they were before. And if that's the case, this is the best and deepest team on paper in baseball and they're capable of winning a world series. So trade deadline. Great. I give them a D minus. Cause like I said, needs really weren't addressed. Do I think it's going to ultimately crush the Braves? No, I don't think so. Cause I think this team already, was pretty deep, and it was going to be hard to really bring in anybody that was going to make a significant impact and be a significant upgrade on this team. A lot of you may disagree with that. Please let me know down in the comment section below. I saw a lot of you on Twitter saying this is a complete and utter failure by Alex Anthopoulos. I do not believe that, even though I give him a D- minus just because needs weren't addressed. But I think a lot of that kind of out of his hand, and I think a lot of that was probably the right move, not to give up what assets you do have 
just to make, you know, marginal upgrades. If they are upgrades at all, it really just would have been depth moves. There weren't a lot of players moved that I thought really would have significantly upgraded this team. And I think the depth is just fine that the Braves have at the moment. Looking around the league, big moves that were made. I thought the Mets had a great trade deadline. Look, if you're out of it, I thought the Mets and Cardinals did really good. They're out of it. They're teams who are hoping to contend soon. They traded off all their assets they have, especially rental players. They got some good prospects in return, hopefully turn things around quickly for them. I thought the Mets did fantastic at this trade deadline, and I hate to say that. They got rid of Scherzer and Verlander contracts. Yes, they're still paying a good chunk of money on those, but in those two deals, they got three really good prospects they got Acuna's brother I'm sorry I can't say his first name they got two really good prospect outfield prospects from the Astros in that Verlander deal I just I feel like that's a bailout for the Mets you had those two big contracts with Scherzer and Verlander you get out from under those and you get three really really good prospects I hate that I hate that for the Mets they also were able to trade fam for a 17 year old lottery ticket type prospect they got the Angels' ninth-ranked prospect for Dominic Leone. They got the Brewers' 30th-ranked prospect for Mark Canna. They got the 18th and 21st-ranked prospects from the Marlins for David Robertson. I mean, the Mets did fantastic at this trade deadline. I know their fans don't like it. They're out of it. But I thought they had the best trade deadline of any team in baseball, sellers or buyers. I thought the Mets absolutely raked in at this trade deadline. So good for them. I hate it for the Braves and for the division. Also, you know, for the Braves, it may be a little bit where the Mets are actually competitive again. We'll see what they do in the offseason. But as far as, you know, maximizing on where they are and getting some return, I thought they did fantastic at this deadline. Rangers got Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, and Chris Stratton at the deadline. They also got a role as Chapman a while back as well. And they got some depth at catcher with Austin Hedges with Jonah Heim being out right now. So I thought the Rangers had a really good trade deadline. Good to see them going forward. That AL West is going to be just a fight because you look, the Astros got Verlander and they got Kendall Graveman. The Angels got, um, they got Leon, who I talked about a minute ago from the Mets. They got CJ Crone, Randall Gritchick, Lucas Giolito, who the Braves will see on Wednesday. And they got Renato Lopez, who the Braves already saw in this series. So that NL West is going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. The Rays got Aaron Savali. Know how good the Rays have been, but they have had some injury issues in the starting rotation. Now you get Savali in there to match with McClanahan and the rest of that pitching staff that they have, even though they are injured, they still have a lot of really good arms. So I thought that was a great move for the Rays. You look on the flip side of that and the Guardians who were somewhat sellers at this trade line, but they trade Aaron Savali. They get Kyle Manzardo, who's first baseman, who is MLB ready, one of the best prospects in all of baseball. And they got Khalil Watson from the Marlins. So they got two really good prospects. Watson struggled a little bit so far in pro baseball, but he was thought to be the steal of his draft when the Marlins got him. So I thought the Guardians did pretty well, too, getting two really good prospects. Dodgers got Lance Lynn, Joe Kelly, Ahmed Rosario, Kike Hernandez. They were denied Eduardo Rodriguez, which is big. Because if they get him, I feel like it kind of changes – everything we look at in the in the national league because you look at all those teams i just talked about who were buyers you know other than the mets nobody really did anything good at the deadline in the national league diamondbacks made some marginal moves to get some depth pieces and i mentioned the moves that the dodgers made but nobody ever nobody in the national league really ever made that big move i thought to move the needle 
in the National League, which I think is good for the Braves. But if the Dodgers get Eduardo Rodriguez, I think that makes a, a little bit of a difference there. I still think the Dodgers are going to be the main contender for the Braves in the National League. But again, Braves didn't do much, but neither did really anybody else in the National League. Most of the big moves went to the American League, where they got Scherzer and Verlander. So that's something to consider as well when you're looking at this trade deadline for the Braves is that they really weren't pushed by anybody in the National League because nobody else really made any major moves in the National League either. So that's your trade deadline review. I'm sure you have some thoughts. Let me know down in the comment section below on Twitter, and I'd love to continue that discussion with you. Next, we got game three of the Angels and the Braves coming up real quickly here on Wednesday. We'll preview that here next. On Wednesday afternoon, it'll be Lucas Giolito, who the Angels just traded for, against Yanni Chirinos, who the Braves just acquired. Both of these pitchers making their second appearance with their new teams. Giolito, fastball slider, changeup, went five and a third his last time out. Again, his first start with the Angels. That was up in Toronto. Gave up six hits, one walk, three earned, two home runs, five strikeouts. He's been hit or miss this season. 14 starts, he's given up two earned or less, which is really good. But he's had six starts where he's given up four earned or more. So again, even though his last start was kind of an in-between start, three earned runs, it's really either been great for Giolito or pretty bad for Giolito. Hopefully the Braves get the bad version on Wednesday afternoon. As for Torino's, how does he use that splitter? Talked about it last time. It's a really good pitch for him. Can Does he throw it more? Can he use it enough to get through a lineup a third time? Can he get through five innings, go a little bit deeper in this game? Bullpen, other than Mentor, should be ready to go. I would imagine we're going to see some sort of combination of Torino's, Heller, McHugh, Tonkin, Yates in this one. Again, hopefully the offense can score a bunch of runs. I don't have much hope for Torino's, but I'd love to see again what he does with that splitter because it is a really good pitch for him. Maybe he doesn't work out as a starter, but again, maybe you move him to some sort of reliever role if that pitch is good enough. I uh, mentioned Brad Hand. He was added to the roster. Daceville Hernandez was moved to the I.L., with elbow inflammation, really hate to see that for a guy coming off Tommy John. Was looking really good coming up in the minor league ranks. Got moved up to Atlanta and made his debut there. You know, Had some impressive stuff, but unfortunately injured. Hopefully there's nothing major there for him and he can get back soon. Braves again will try to win the series against the Angels on Wednesday afternoon starting at 12.20 p.m. Eastern. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. That will do it for this episode of Lockdown Braves. Thanks so much for making us your first listen of each and every day. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. You can follow me at Shortstop Ball. Also, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Lockdown Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias. DC Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 